0: And I would now like to invite our very inspiring spiritual director to the stage. He's coming down the aisle right now, Reverend Patrick Cameron. It's outside enjoying the sunlight. We need a retractable roof on our new facility is all I have to say. Yeah, why not? If we're gonna dream, let's dream big. Go big or go home. Well, good morning, welcome such a great uh, honor and delight to always uh, come together in community. Amazing, amazing musicians showing up and so much fun. So I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to sing a song, we're going to sing a song. And if you'd like to stand and sing, you may. If you'd like to stay seated, that's fine. If people are sleeping, if they're sleeping next to you, just don't, don't wake them up. In this very room. Spirit One Spirit Is In this very Room In this very Room In this Very room Know with me one life, God's life, perfect life, my life in this moment, always and forever. Never has that not been true for each one of us. And knowing it for myself in this moment, I know that I am shifted and changed, open and teachable. as show up, awake to my life, to all the small and large choices that I make. This moment is the only moment, the here and now, the eternal moment, and so I just celebrate that. I know that each for myself I am informed in wonderful, powerful ways. I am moved by the music, by the space between the notes, by the space between the thoughts as well, in that spaciousness of life where Spirit has an opportunity to inform, to refresh, to remind, to come home. So I come home to myself in this moment. I invite you to do the same. It is beautiful. It is lovely. It is healthy. It is balanced. It is powerful. It is wonderful. As I surrender to this idea, everything necessary for myself and for you to move forward in the next step is made clear and obvious. For this, I give thanks. This is my knowing. I've impressed this idea upon this infinite law that always says yes and always responds in the affirmative. To whatever I impress upon it For this I give thanks Knowing this day This moment is complete In every good way And together we say And so it is Awesome Please be seated Rumi wrote a poem A number of years ago Called Come Come whoever you are Wanderer, worshiper Lover of leaving Even a, 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 carav- a caravan of despair Even if you've broken your, your vows A thousand times Come, come home so I've asked Brian to sing that song this morning and I'm going to sing and I'm going to sing with him and you can sing along if you'd like pretty simple
1: Worshipper, lover of leaving And come, come, whoever you are This isn't a caravan of despair And it doesn't matter if you've broken your vows A thousand times before and yet again Come again, come, and yet again Come, come, whoever you are Wanderer, worshipper, lover of weeping And come, come, whoever you are This isn't a caravan of despair thousand times before and yet again come again come Come, come, whoever you are This isn't a caravan of despair Come, come, whoever you are A wanderer, a worshiper, a lover of leaving And come, come, whoever you are This isn't a caravan of despair And it doesn't matter if you've broken your vow thousand times before and yet again. Come again, come and yet again.
0: So Rumi wrote that, or it was written through Rumi, because he used to spin around a pole and, and recite to his, and his students would scribe as fast as they could. And as Coleman Barks has said many times, who has interpreted a lot of Rumi's stuff, how, how, how overwhelming the idea of someone being able to just verbally articulate that without a whole lot of rewrites. is quite daunting and intimidating, but it is so true. And, uh, in the chapter with Janine Roth, she quotes Rumi. She said that birds learn to fly by falling and falling again. And in their falling, they're given wings. And I, I think that's such a, a wonderful <clears throat> example of this, this life experience. That's been my life experience, the falling and falling again. What I know about our, our, what we teach and what we share is that, that all of it is inevitable. Our longings are inevitable as long as we continue to re-engage and engage and when we fall to get back and to re-engage and to look and do the do the uh, ask the questions and and examine the the challenges or the opportunities because they're not really challenges they're just a result of consciousness the things that are going on in our lives right now are a result of our consciousness and that consciousness has evolved over time into what we we call our lives so it works Ernest Holmes said, and these books are not yet in the bookstore, this book, wonderful little book called Prayer by Dr. Holmes said, mental or spiritual treatment should bring into actual manifestation the health and happiness which are humanity's normal and divine heritage. So to live in in health and to live in balance and to live in harmony is our divine heritage. We are tripwired for that. Such healing includes the emancipation of the mind from every form of bondage through a new concept of God. That's why Jeanine Roth called her book Women Food and God because she said there's no there's no place where God is not. God is in all of it. God's in all the details. <clears throat> which causes with that idea, the concept of God, which causes the heart to beat with joy and gladness. This healing power is a consciousness of the unity of all life and the spiritual nature of all beings. Man's and woman's life is rooted in the universal and the eternal, which life is none other than the life of God. The healing process, and I think this is interesting to to, uh, share, the healing process or process is so far, insofar as it may be termed a process, is in becoming conscious of this eternal truth. I like that definition of healing. It is simply understanding, it is healing the separation, it's understanding who we are and whose we are. And as Janine Ross said, her practice for a long time, the way she lived her life, was that she assumed that at some point in time there was an end goal. There was going to be a, you know, we're going to reach the goal. We get to the goal. And then everything, at the arrival of that goal, it would be peace forever. It's a fantasy. But a lot of people have lived that fantasy. Did anyone live in that fantasy right now? Because it's okay. But it's eventually we're going to reach a goal and then our work is done. And then we just coast. When I was a young boy, I've shared a few times that we, I would collect holy cards. I was in a Catholic school and I'd collect holy cards. And so I said to my mom one day, I said, how many of these cards do I need to collect before I can start having some fun? So I figured at some point I'd have enough points to get into heaven so then I could just go off. And I was like five, six years old, but it just made sense to me. I'm going to store up my, my holy cards and then, you know, I can... Those are my, my, uh, my markers. What I know about our lives, what I know about my life, is that my life is either an expression of my spiritual magnificent or my unhealed past. But I either express from my spiritual magnificent or my unhealed past. Galway Cannell is quoted in this chapter called Reteaching Loveliness. Reteaching Loveliness. And Galway had this to say, sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness. And everything that Janine says they do in their workshop is to reteach loveliness. And so are you living from loveliness? Am I, li- am I living from loveliness? When I stand here and I watch Brian sort of go into his meditation as he sings a song, I'm just drawn into that. I watch uh, Nathan in, in his music. I mean, we are, we are drawn out of ourselves into a bigger experience of life. This is what happens with us when we're, we stop spinning in our own web of, of figuring it all out. And it requires requires that surrender. It's very paradoxical because why would we as as metaphysicians, and we know that thought is creative and then we set an intention and we work that intention, why would we think we'd have to surrender at all? But the interesting thing is, Dr. Holmes inserted into our prayer work is that, that, that the release is the final step. We release it because we know we've done the work in our own consciousness to establish a new spiritual prototype, a new idea, a new story. And then we let it go. We don't hang on to it. Once the car is parked and the ignition is off, we don't need to steer the car anymore. We've gotten, we've, we've gotten to that particular step to that destination. So surrender is an interesting paradox for us because it doesn't seem like it would make sense because we take responsibility for our lives and we've set the intention. So isn't it interesting that some of the... Now, I was told the whole time growing up that you know, it was all surrender, I wasn't, I wasn't told about loveliness. I was just said, you know, life is suffering, and suck it up and enjoy it and be happy that I'm not abusing you anymore or whatever it may be. The pain wasn't there. So what I felt, grew up being, believing spiritual practice was, was somebody not imposing their will or some sense of harm or intimidation on me. And for all of us, we've had, we've had, we have similar stories. And then all of a sudden you realize this is a bit incongruent. So the surrender is an interesting thing. Last night I was, I, was going to, uh, I was going to sleep, and a mosquito showed up in the room. Have you ever had that? You're, you're just about to sleep, and then... And so you can tell it's right by your ear, and so I'd grab at it, and, and then it would move, but I would, wouldn't be in my hand, and I was too lazy to get up and turn the light on to see where I was. And so I did that about 15 times, and after I'd slapped myself about five or six times right on the ear. I realized that wasn't working either. Um, I decided I just have to surrender. I have so much to offer this mosquito. I have this whole body full of blood. (laughs) And so I just said, you know what? I'm going to sleep. And so I woke up. I had this big bite on my ankle when I woke up. The other part of this surrendering that I didn't consider was that you cannot scratch that bite. If you scratch the bite, isn't it interesting? You bring more energy to it, and it festers. And then if you scratch it enough, it turns into a wound and a scab, and it heals, and it takes a month and a half. I don't know about you, but that's the way my body works with a mosquito bite. So if I don't scratch it, so I got up the next morning, and I didn't itch it. And within about, I don't know, five or six hours of not itching, it was gone. It was gone. Cause I didn't bring any more energy to it. What an interesting metaphor for the wounds in our lives. And if we don't, we don't put energy into it, how it sort of dissipates. I don't recommend this as spiritual practice. I'm just telling you, I thought I would try it out. In fact, next time I probably will get up and find out where and let the mosquito out. Janine says it's never been available anywhere at any time that the value of a human spirit is dependent on a number on a scale. We are unrepeatable, we are unrepeatable beings of light. There has never been you before, and you before, and you before, and me before, and never again will this be repeated. At the consciousness we are born into this, this environment and on this beautiful uh, planet will never happen again. Unrepeatable being of light, of space and water, and we need these physical vehicles to get around, and we start defining ourselves by that which can be measured or weighed, something deep within us rebels. Soon as we're 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 told we're a number, or our value is lined up with what the scale said, the bathroom scale says, or the doctor says, or whatever it may be, there's something within us rebels because we're far more than that. We're far more than that. And the reason I want to share these ideas with you because this is this is life. This is real. And I watch so many people struggle with. Maybe it isn't food is the struggle. Maybe it's maybe it's emotions. You know, maybe it's the toxic emotions that we have that we've never learned to, to really manage our emotions well our relationships with others. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's drugs. Who knows? There's, there's all kinds of fun things out there we can lose ourselves in. We can bolt. You know, that's what Rumi kept saying in the song. That Brian just sang, come, come back. Doesn't, it doesn't matter if you've broken your vow a thousand times before. Same thing I talked about last week, unconditional love. We just have to step back into it. But my experience is I was so conditioned that if I made a mistake, that, that reinforced the idea that I, I wasn't valued, that I wasn't, I wasn't good. And then I didn't deserve. She says, if it's not on page 59 in her book, Women, Food, and God, she says, if it's not about the weight, because if you keep using food as a drug, if you keep distracting yourself by creating a weight problem, then you need to to attend to your weight in order to stand up, to walk, to open doors, to sleep, to feel happy, feel devastated, feel loved, get old, die with any degree of attention. Dr. Holmes said, we're here to live Let's live while we're alive. If you keep slapping another problem on top of the freshness of life itself, all you see is what you've slapped on it. You cannot ignore a problem just because it's one that you've manufactured. When you can't live the rest of your life with ease, the weight itself needs to be addressed. Not so that you can become supermodel thin and not so that you can look like an image in your mind that has nothing to do with your body, your age, or your life. You need to address the weight because without addressing it, you don't actually live. You schlep yourself from place to place, out of breath. Sitting, in, sitting is painful, flying is torturous. Going to the movies is challenging. You become so burdened with the problem you created that your life becomes small and your focus becomes narrow. We're not here to live like that. And the wonderful thing about this book is she talks about And Next month, I'm going to use the book. We're going to continue because she gets into the practices. But reteaching loveliness to ourselves is so important. What she says in in this book is it's radical self-care. It's radical self-care, but in a way that's grounded in the truth of our being. And radical self-care requires, for the most part, a a new awareness and a diligence about how we're, we're interacting with ourselves. Wherever we are, whatever the challenges are, requires awareness and requires understanding why we do the things we do. Because if we're doing things unconsciously, it's our opportunity, that's what we're here to work with. That is, that is the curriculum for mastery, whatever it may be. And at some level, as she says, how you spend your days is how you spend your life. And it is piece by piece, it's gradual, it's piece by piece, it's thought by thought. I was spinning out a little bit this week, some things went a little differently than I'd planned and and uh, I was really in, in it. And, and the, the thing that brought me back was a song. I just started to sing God is my source. <clears throat> you know, I didn't, I, you know, I could tell you that I sat down and said, well, you know, the therapist Patrick could sit down with the troubled patient Patrick and say, now tell me what your problem is. And why do you feel that way? And all that. Didn't do any of that. I said, you know what? I just need to, I'm going to sing this song. So I started saying God is my source. God is my source, God is my power, God gives me everything I need. That's why music is so powerful, there's a vibration to it. And it just got me out of the spin, and I sang it, and pretty soon Laura was singing it with me. When I first met her, I, was, I sing all the time. She, when I first met her, she said, what song are we singing today? I didn't even realize I was singing all the time. But, you know, I found that singing was much more effective in my life than the the silent cursing and um, condemnation that was going on in my brain. That was my spiritual practice for quite a while. And she, she continues on this, and this is part of her theme. She says, Although the very notion that hatred leads to love and that torture leads to relaxation is absolutely insane. We hypnotize ourselves into believing that the end end justifies the means. We treat ourselves and the rest of the world as if deprivation, punishment, and shame leads to change. We treat our bodies as if they are the enemy, and the only acceptable outcome is annihilation. Our deeply ingrained belief is that hatred and torture work, and although I've never met anyone, not one person for whom warring with their bodies led to long-lasting change, we continue to believe that with a little more self-disgust, we will prevail it doesn't work it is such a popular idea but it doesn't work and when we can reteach ourselves loveliness she said this isn't about an image this isn't about this physical form we need to move on the planet and I love the moving on this planet and I intend to do a lot more of it you know to, to celebrate and to dance and to laugh and to sing the song but we need to understand Ourselves, We don't need to understand anybody else because they're doing their own thing, but we simply need to look at our lives and understand why we're doing this. Why am I making this choice? Why is this making me angry? Why is this upsetting me? And it's not denying it, it's not, it and it's not continuing to, to fuel it, just like that mosquito bite I described to you. We don't continue to scratch it, to irritate it, but if we can, we can manage it, and so whatever the, because the body knows what to do. That's the beautiful thing about these bodies. Our bodies know what's in balance. Our bodies know how to heal. I cut myself last night. And uh, I thought, isn't it interesting the way the body knows? As soon as there's a cut, the body knows what to do. There's an intelligence there that just responds. And it's, it's an amazing thing. She says that you can, you can lose the same 30 pounds every year for the next 80 years. Gain it and lose it. Gain it and lose it. That could be your spiritual practice. But if we don't reconnect with what's real, if we don't come home to ourselves, it will, it will continue to support that pattern in our lives. We don't want to eat, we don't want to eat a hot fudge Sunday as much as we want our lives to be a hot fudge Sunday. We want to come home to ourselves. Rumi's song. Come, come, wherever you are. Wanderer, worshiper, lover of leaving. A caravan of despair. I think the Sufis had the same challenge we have. They just didn't have the internet. We want to know wonder, light, and passion. If instead we've given up on ourselves, if we've vacated our longings, if we've left possibility behind, we feel an emptiness we can't name. And we will feel something is missing because something is missing the connection to the source of all sweetness. All love, all power, all peace, all joy. Stillness. It's exactly what Dr. Holmes was talking about. The spiritual force that is in and through and as all of us. And so what song do you sing to yourself to remind yourself? How do you bring yourself back? Because the first step is understanding and realizing. And so when we go to do anything, why am I doing this? Why am I acting in this way? Why am I responding in this way? And is it, is it the effective path? And is it something that I want to continue to do? What I know about, as you said earlier too, and it's so true, when we, when we love something, when we cherish something, we care for it. We care for it. And our whole practice, radical self-care. Looking at how we think, looking at the goals and the intentions that we set for ourselves. And I'm not talking about... Most of it is not exterior goals. i got a. Julie shared with me a note from somebody. I used an example a couple of weeks ago about a millionaire. And I said, you know, when people look for the right and perfect mate, they, they'd like them to be a millionaire, and they'd like them this and this and this. And what I was attempting to say in a very clumsy way was, but what I did say was, why would a millionaire want to hook up with you? Are you a millionaire? Are you open and receptive? Are you all the things you're looking for? And that's the point I was trying to make. You know... If you're stone broken, a millionaire marries you, that's, that's your consciousness. I'm all for it. You're going to have your own experience with that. What I was attempting to say was that, that simply that in order to attract into our lives the things we'd like to have, we must work, do the work at the level of consciousness to, to embody those things we'd like to have. It's the way it works, the law of attraction. It's simple. So to have greater love in our lives, to have greater, and abundance is not simply about financial abundance. Abundance is today. It's listening to... I'm going to trip myself here. My shoelace came... I see I'm talking myself out of my shoes right now. But... uh, So if something does happen, you'll know. Tell the insurance company what happened. I was walking around with a. I I think I will tie my shoe. Radical (laughs) self-care. I do love that. I love that lace. If we... If we force, deprive, and shame ourselves into being thin or anything else, we'll end up dep- we will end up a deprived, shameful, fearful person who will be thin for ten minutes. When you abuse yourself by taunting or threatening yourself, you become a bruised human being no matter how much you weigh. And when you do- demonize yourself, when you pit one part of yourself against the other, your ironclad will against your bottomless hunger... You end up feeling split and crazed and afraid that the part you locked away will, when you are at least prepared, take over and ruin your life. Losing weight on any program in which you tell yourself that left to your own impulses would, that you would devour the universe is like building a skyscraper on sand without a foundation, the true structure. Change, if it is to be long-lasting, must occur on the unseen levels first. The level of consciousness. She was on, uh, I watched an interview with Janine this morning on the, uh, YouTube. And I didn't know this, but uh, in December when Bernie Madoff, remember Bernie Madoff, New York had all the investors and everybody lost their money? Her and her husband had been investing with Bernie for 30 years. They lost everything. And she talked about her struggle with it. She talks about her struggle even with this book and the practice. And she talked about how angry she was. And then she would have to pull herself back to what she had in her life right now. And she was very honest. She was on one of the morning talk shows but she's been doing this work for years and years and she said even with what she talks about in this book she has to continue to pull herself back it's a practice she said I don't have it mastered but I know this works for me and I have an insight and an understanding what motivates me and she said we were very disappointed the questions that we were asking ourselves when we lost our money was can we keep the house are we going to be able to hold this together all those things and then she would have to pull herself back in her mind in her consciousness at that unseen level to the awareness that you know what there's so much in my life to celebrate We are not our bank accounts. We are not our our relationships with others. We're our relationships with ourselves, which outpicture in those other relationships with others. And that was the point I was trying to make when I used that clumsy example. Why would a millionaire want to be with you? Of course, if a millionaire is going to marry you and you love him, go for it. Or her. All for it. That can happen. But I'm just saying that we have to work at the level of consciousness to embody it and pull ourselves back. So I'm going to ask Brian to come on up. We're going to share a song with you that I think is just a, a beautiful example of this idea because God is everywhere present there's not a spot where God is not as you've heard me say a few times my teacher Reverend Catherine Yates used to say that all the time and so everything is sacred and it's seeing with that it's seeing with those eyes and honoring oneself in unconditional love and even if we've broken our vow to ourselves a thousand times we can still come back you ready, buddy? Oh, wait, let me. I need words. <clears throat> Brian's got everything memorized. It's a song that you've heard before. Actually, there's a couple of verses. I went online and found out a couple of verses. It's, I thought Jack Fowler had written this song. It's, and, uh, it's not Jack's man by the name of Peter Mayer. And uh, there's a couple of lovely verses in it that I've never heard anybody in our movement sing before. So anyway, it's called Holy Now. And if you know it, I'm going to invite you to sing along with me. When I was a boy each week Sunday we would go to church i pay attention to the priest He would read the Holy Word Consecrate the Holy Bread Everyone would kneel and bow Today the only difference is Everything is holy now Everything, everything, everything is holy now When I was in Sunday school We would learn about the time moses split the sea in two and jesus made the water wine i remember feeling sad miracles don't happen still but now i can't keep track because everything's a miracle everything everything everything's a miracle Wine from water is not so small An even better magic trick Is anything is here at all So the challenging thing becomes Not to look for miracles But finding where there isn't one Water was rare at best I barely wet my fingertips Now I have to hold my breath Like I'm swimming in a sea of it Used to be a world out there Having second-rate hand-me-downs Now I'm walking with a reverent air Cause everything is holy now Everything, everything, everything is holy now Read a questioning child's face Say it's not a testament That it'd be very hard to say And see, see another new morning come Say it's not a sacrament I tell you that it can't be done Outside I stood I saw a little red-winged bird Shining like a burning bush And singing like a scripture verse Made me want to bow my head I remember when church let out How things have changed since then Is everything holy now? Used to be a world out there Having second-rate hand-me-downs now I'm walking with the reverend tear Because everything is holy now Everything, everything, everything is holy now And so it is <clears throat> Thanks, buddy <laughs> Thank you I'll tell you, having that young man provide the, the ear candy while we sing along is, is quite sweet. And thank you, Brian. So nice.